0: Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. This is a lot of fun. Hour three. I'm uh, putting together the consanguinity of all great living things and people in studio as we have had for the past two hours. My good friend, Dr. Tevi Troy, presidential and cultural historian, author of several books, and my other dear and good friend who's usually with us on Tuesdays and I hope will be with us tomorrow, and that is the former mayor of Tempe, Hugh Hallman, an attorney and educator in town, and uh, he was in the neighborhood and I just wanted you two to meet and I thought we would have a lot of fun uh, having a uh, different kind of a conversation together if 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 you're up for it. Because I was just kind of thinking, you know, as we're going through this fight for speaker and we were talking earlier about a debate Tevi had last night over conservatism with a liberal in an audience that was trying to understand conservatism um, – there are different strands of conservatism. We all know this, and it dawned on me, the three of us probably represent a few different ones with some Venn diagram layovers, and it might just be fun a little bit to talk about that. And as a springboard, you know, Tevi was telling you, Hugh, uh, right before the show started about an incident in government he had with regulatory agencies, it seems one thing that all conservatives do agree on, regardless—and I can't think of an exception to this—regardless of their flavor or stripe of conservatism, they all agree in the problem of big government, the problem of the Leviathan. And you tell me if I'm wrong, Hugh. I'll start with you. You tell me if I'm wrong. You like to call yourself an old Goldwater conservative. That might have been even your entree into conservatism, just the issue of the regulatory state and the Leviathan. But I could be wrong about that. I know you come at things from a certain economic and slightly libertarian uh, lens.
1: Slightly libertarian lens. Uh, I just am thrilled and delighted to be in the same room with the two of you. Uh, uh, Dr. Troy here has a, a list of books that uh, makes one envious if one is allowed to be envious. You know, uh, He's got brilliant stuff and I have the likes of uh, Kaczynski's *Business Sasha*. I mean, I mean, it, it flies off the shelves. <laughs> um, but uh, in terms of you the, you did
0: write that book, actually.
1: Uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. Big, big, uh, big government issue. I, I think you are absolutely correct. And I, to, to describe it to the average person, it is this notion I often use, and it is government. Because it is such a blunt instrument, must be operated in a way in which one size has to fit everyone, and so you not only have the least common deno- the lowest common denominator problem of shooting down to the to the lowest needs uh, and demands in our community, but if you really want to understand why that doesn't work, go out into the parking lot at the office you work in or the store you work in or wherever else you might be, and look around. How many identical cars do you see? How often do we choose to have exactly the same thing that our next-door neighbor has? Almost never. And yet government has to operate because of its size and the scope of what it's attempting to do at this, uh, at this level. So unless we all want uh, black uh, Yugos uh, with three wheels that can have a hard time going more than 45 miles an hour, uh, we choose very differently. And yet we expect – that kind of performance by government and government as a result does not perform well for many of us. It is the, it is the, the consummate multi-purpose room uh, and it's trying to serve every purpose for every person. And there are 330 million of us in this country with very different interests. How do we know this? Look at what we all view on television. Look at what we now, we now have hundreds of channels uh, to serve us because we have very different interests, different desires and different needs.
0: Interestingly, only once government got out of the way. Before Correct. government, it yes. was only three plus one.
1: Yeah, that's right, in yeah. every in every major city.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, Tevi, I'd love you to respond any way you want. I just wanted to plant an additional thought to what Hugh said, which was when you think of some of the original uh, – Origin Stories of Modern Day Conservatism from, let's say, the 40s and 50s, those books were kind of precisely on this point. I'm thinking of Hayek's Road to Serfdom. That might have been the first conservative Bible. Might have been. I could be wrong. You would know better.
2: It clearly was an early conservative Bible and something that was uh, printed as a paperback for the troops, and a lot of people incorporated their ideas about free markets and the problems of socialism from, from that book. So it was a very, very valuable printing job by the United States government, even <laughs> with all the United <laughs> States government's flaws. And I, I must say, ideologically, I completely agree with what you're saying, and I'm so glad he joined us here. We had two fun hours, and it's even more fun with him here with us. But... I will push back on your premise, which is this idea that all conservatives agree with it. Okay, good. Because we increasingly have some conservatives who are saying we want the regulatory state to reign in big business because we don't like these corporations. And that— While I have some big problems with corporate America and some of the things that corporate America does, and certainly wokeism in in corporate America, I don't want to unleash the regulatory state on it. And there are some conservatives who, even recognizing the smart arguments that Hugh is making about the one-size-fits-all nature of government, want to unleash the government on the corporations, and I'm worried about that.
1: Now, we've now found a point we can at least start teasing out. This is an example where conservatives can disagree, but I suspect by the end of the day, we don't disagree much. So as an economist— I understand moral hazard problems and free rider problems. The market doesn't work perfectly, especially the larger it gets, and how we have these exchanges. So there is, in my view, a realm in which government can operate to make sure that certain kinds of of businesses, monopolies that get created in part because of government uh, to avoid waste. What do I mean by that? Just easiest example. We typically end up with monopolies in power companies because it ultimately doesn't make a lot of sense that 14 different companies supply power lines to your home in order for that opportunity. Now, that's a status where it could have been done very differently. You could have a power line company that then rents the space to send the power from different power companies to your home. We didn't get there. Uh, Railroads. Uh, it's, uh, we found in the early days of our society and Abraham Lincoln understood this problem. He ended up uh, providing a monopoly to a railroad in order to get the country connected together and gave away massive amounts of real estate and opportunity to very few people to build a railroad that wove us together. Time changes things, and you might make different choices at different times once, once something got started. But there are oftentimes – monopoly is the best example – where you need to start something and move it forward in a way that provides enough incentives for somebody to take that risk. Then the game changes, and we probably can break that up, and that's why we ended up with uh, in the late 1800s and early 1900s some desire to control those monopolies that were created themselves by government.
2: Look, I'm a fan of Robert Bork's theories on monopolies and consolidation, which is if we are getting better results and cheaper goods for consumers, we don't mind bigness necessarily. What we are seeing today from the leftists in the FTC and at the Justice Department, the antitrust regulators, are we inherently don't like bigness because we just don't like corporations. And I think there are some conservatives today who share that sentiment regardless of whether the largeness of the organizations actually provides better results for the American consumers, which should be the goal of government. Go ahead.
1: Well, that's why he's brilliant because, of course, he's immediately identifying how we make these decisions and why conservatives should not be zero one. We are supposed to be about figuring out that there's a a, a square root to something that will give us a better answer, and we should always be thoughtful about that and educate our population so they can understand the point in the first place.
0: To make sure I understand the point, uh, let me clarify, try and get clarification on what you said, Tevi, with regard to some conservatives that would disagree with me or would disagree with the premise that I stated about big government or regulatory the regulatory regime. Are you saying that there is a level of conservative now that wants to wield government against big corporations, or are you saying there is a flavor and temperament of conservatism that likes the regulatory state generally?
2: I'm saying the former. We are increasingly seeing a number of people who call themselves conservatives, certainly call themselves Republicans, who want to wield the power of the regulatory state against big businesses they don't like. And even if I may not like those same big businesses, I think it's very dangerous to unleash the power of the regulatory state. The whole point of conservatism is to rein in the power of the regulatory state so we don't have the problem that Hugh's talking about of this one-size-fits-all strangling the economy, strangling innovation, preventing us from developing new alternatives to energy, new ways of transportation. You know, the Concorde was effectively banned by the regulatory state 50 years ago, and we have seen no improvements in the speed of air travel ever since. That's a problem. The nuclear power was effectively banned 50 years ago by leftists on many levels, state and local and federal, and air... Quality in New York from the development of energy was decreased by 46%. It got worse because we got rid of, of nuclear energy. And perhaps, with all the people who are cons- complaining about climate change today, perhaps we would be in a better place on the environment if we had allowed nuclear power to continue to develop. And maybe we would have seen some vast innovations, and it would make us less dependent on energy from Russia and from Iran and from Venezuela, states that are a real problem for us.
0: Let me let me take a quick commercial break. I see Hugh wants to jump in on this, and we'll do so right after the break. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Hugh Hallman, H-A-L-L-M-A-N, and my other guest is Tevi Troy, T-R-O-Y. We'll be right back. Welcome welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Hugh Hallman and Tevi Troy, my in studio guests. This is a lot of fun and uh, having you both. And we're talking about conservatism. And um, Tevi and Hugh and I were talking about the regulatory state. And what my presumption was that we all agreed upon, we're finding that it actually has some holes in it. And, Tevi, if you wanted to continue with the thought before we move to Hugh's response or mine.
2: So, obviously, I would like that skepticism towards the regulatory state to be one of the tenets of modern conservatism. And I'm going to fight to make sure that is so. But it is not necessarily the case that that is uni- unifying across all conservatives. But I have written about this, what unifies conservatives today. We've had back in the Reagan days, uh, we've had the um, the fusionist consensus. There have been consensuses in the past. And now, what? if I were to lay out what the consensus is, I would say, number one, is a belief in a Supreme Court that reigns in government and makes decisions made by the people rather than by unelected judges. Number two is Israel is a unifying force among most conservatives today, although I've seen some disturbing developments in, in, in recent days. But in general, Israel unites conservatives. And opposition to what I would call the woke left in corporations, in media, and in universities. I think those are three things that unite conservatives. What was the third? I'm sorry. Opposition to the woke left. Okay. In general, so in the universities, in um, th- this idea that you can't express your opinion if it go- violates leftist dictum. So, I would say that there are those things that unite conservatives. The problem is, it's very hard to develop a policy agenda around those three inclinations. Ooh.
0: You're so far ahead of me. I want to come to all of that, but I wanted to ask you one more thing about corporations, both of you, uh, and the and the re- regulatory state on that, and then I'll go down your list of three if that's okay uh, after you respond to this. Is there a role for conservatism, though, in reigning in big, even if it's not in the public sector? Uh, either one of you can take this on, because you're right. This is a new argument. Uh, the left used to have the bumper sticker that, you know, bumper stickers all against the corporations, right? The, the left used to hate corporations. They now love them and the conservative movement seems to now hate the corporations and the corporations have become in many respects not only uh, large and leviathan and regulatory in their own odd ways. Uh, they've also colluded with the government and they've also engaged in the third thing you were talking about, wokeism, which, uh, you know, in the in the kind of country we live in now, it's hard to distinguish between what the government's telling us to do and what corporations are telling us to do, Mr. Holman.
1: Yeah, and here's, I think, why it's so hard for conservatives, because our background causes us to think through these things. And I like to generalize. I do think there is a, a uniting theme even in these items uh, that can be kind of n- notionally policy driven. For example, corporations big. So we really do have a left that still can only have a zero one painting. Right. Two legs, bad, four legs, good. That is literally why we have Animal Farm telling us that four legs, good, two legs is bad, because that's all the horse could understand. And the approach from the left is to dumb everything down to the horses in the crowd and eliminate any notion that there is something between the zero and one. Good conservatives, in my view, can tease things apart and recognize that just large corporations. The reason the left hated corporations is they were driving a lot of economic activity that the left could not at the time push their social agenda through. Now the social agenda has been adopted by these large corporations and wokeism has been adopted as a marketing matter, right? Just watch any sports game now and you'll see all the kinds of BLM stuff and all the goodies that the left wants to see. That's the one. So as long as you cater to that, They don't pay much attention to anything else. Well, conservatives do. So now the big corporations that stand for this horror for conservatives are, for example, Amazon. You can't get certain books written from the right Right. on Amazon. That then becomes the zero one for conservatives. Folks, we don't have to do that. We can beat the heck out of Amazon for recognizing that they are refusing to carry certain writers who are against the woke leftist uh, narrative. But it doesn't mean that you're necessarily better off breaking that up. Mm -hmm. We should analyze what's going on there. Well, it's the same with corporate media. We've talked about the fact that the the major corporate media has now become uh, a, a prisoner of the left. And just name your newspaper. Even our local Arizona Republic caters in that direction. Because zero and one are the only two answers that can be tolerated, and one is the one that the left currently wants. Conservatives tease it apart much uh, more carefully, and as a result, bigness isn't necessarily bad, although Tevi is correct. You've got a number of conservatives who are in that zero-one horse mentality, and we are not well-served when that happens because we then lose the policy and we instead just start bludgeoning people because they're big or they're woke.
2: You were saying something incredibly interesting, which is that the corporations, for once, <laughs> no, the corporations are in, increasingly problematic for conservatives in terms of the positions they take and their inability to buy conservative books on their sites and the way they censor things. So. We, as conservatives, should have problems with what they do. But he's still on board with the concept of corporations because they are actors in the free market. Whereas you said something earlier, Seth, that I slightly disagree with, which is you said the left is now on board with the corporations. I don't think that's true at all. I think the left has gotten the corporations to bow and scrape before them. But the left still doesn't like the corporations, and they will crush them or rein them in or do whatever they want to them. They like that the corporations are doing the bidding of the left. But that doesn't mean that they embrace the
0: corporations. We we may disagree a little on that.
1: And they are still the font of the resources that the left needs to run into government in order to buy and do the kinds of things they want to do. We've discussed the fact that Every government has to operate on the excesses that are generated by the private sector. When I say excesses, I don't mean terrible activity. I mean the profit that is generated, whether you're a human being working and you file your tax return because you're a W-2 employee, the government is taxing something that you did. Every dollar of tax money is taken from somebody who produced it. And as I would not be a slave, so I would not be a master. We have the left in love with the idea that they can they can hook these horses up to the right plow and make them pull in the direction they want and use those resources against their own interests.
0: I wonder if it's that the left viewed – because I do – you and I will have a disagreement on this, Tevi, about the left's view of uh, of the corporation. I wonder if it's perhaps – in, in part, I have my view of the left and the corporation because the left has viewed the corporation the way they've viewed the university. If they can take it over, then they're for it. It is amazing, for example, to me, how you used to be able to just put the word big in front of everything if you were a leftist to hate to hate it right i think uh, mr colo was making this point the other day just put the big, word big. Pharma. Like pharma big tobacco yeah. big oil you name it right big nuke big right, air right, right. Okay. and 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 big the pharmaceutical companies my gosh what a great example have you ever seen a quicker lurch have you ever seen more whiplash from the political left or any political movement, right or left, from hating a corporation to bowing down before it than you did the left with Big Pharma.
1: Well, remember that before Donald Trump was uh, taken out of office, the vice presidential candidate was saying that she would never use a vaccine that was uh, created during the Trump administration. And of course, the moment they then had to control it, Big Pharma became their biggest fan and she their uh, fan as well.
2: Yeah, Seth, I still don't buy it. Okay. Joe Biden has been very critical of the tech companies. The okay. people he puts in positions um, of power and antitrust, like Lena Kahn, okay. are against the big tech companies. Okay. Um, Elizabeth okay. Warren is a huge basher of corporations, as is Bernie Sanders. I think they still don't like corporations, but they like that the corporations are increasingly bowing and scraping via adopting woke wo- policies.
0: i, I got to take the break. Take a quick commercial break because we like corporations here. Going early. Okay. <laughs> Still. <laughs> or are they like me. Still. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson show. Dr. Tevi Troy and uh, Mr. Hugh Holman are my guests and uh this is this is great. We're doing a uh, this is a great conversation. Tevi, corporations left the right.
2: Yeah, so Go. I want to highlight this point. So let's look at Elon Musk. Yeah. Elon Musk is Sort of liked by people on the right to some degree these days. But Elon Musk basically made his fortune by having US government contracts via SpaceX. And then he also got grants and subsidies to make Tesla into a, a trillion dollar company. You left and out Solar City. Solar City, of course, too. So um, e- Elon Musk basically made a massive fortune on government largesse. But then Elon Musk bought Twitter and tried to make it a free market enterprise or a free speech enterprise, which the left did not like. And the Wall Street Journal had a fantastic editorial about two or three weeks ago where they talked about all the ways that the Biden regulatory state is now going after Elon Musk in terms of his labor policies and his environmental policies and the, uh, the, the antitrust stuff. So uh, he's, it's almost like uh, he's being gang tackled by multiple regulatory actors. And the journal had this great li- this line in the editorial where it said, we doubt any order came from on high, go after Elon Musk and his companies. But the message was clear.
1: And and let's tease that. Let's go back to the beginning. We had a guy who's made his entire fortune by engaging in contracting with the United States. SpaceX, SolarCity and Tesla all massively subsidized because they were offering green energy solutions in the first two instances. And then SpaceX was an opportunity for the U.S. to get out of the business of launching its own rockets. So here's a guy who received billions of dollars as a result of government contracts. And the left supported him wildly until he went into X or Twitter. And now he's to be bashed. This is the problem with left and right thinking of zero and one. I found it absurd that the U.S. government was spending that kind of money on a single person who is now lionized in our country, at least by the left. And you look at this, and this is government out of control. This is the zero one. We're going to do this and pour billions of dollars into that. So we have Teslas as a result of U.S. government subsidy. We have solar panels on our rooftops because of U.S. government subsidy. That's a problem because we would have different solutions if the government had not been warping the market. And think of it this way. The amount of money the United States, the federal government spends in the market in any way, shape and form is warping the market on a daily basis because it is a player and a purchaser, a buyer in that market. So all of the rest of us are competing for all the resources that would otherwise be available to the, quote, free market to do what might otherwise be done. It's very difficult to posit a universe in which the federal government's impact would not be so negative towards everything that conservatives would like to see happen. But at this stage, you've got the interesting point uh, Tevi's making is that did the order go out? Of course it didn't. But when all of your soldiers understand what the handbook says, like we were discussing and just before the break you 've got Lena Kahn, who is the thirty five year old chair of the Federal Trade Commission
2: appointed at thirty two
1: e- exactly right because of her brilliant resume of accomplishment, no, because of her advocacy as a political movement to go after corporations. And I look at this now with her crazy statements. She's going after Amazon with a vengeance, and nothing that she is talking about is getting at the core of why you would want to control as a good regulator the monopoly that that Amazon has been trying to build, in the same way that Microsoft was working diligently to create a monopoly on controlling uh, the Internet, in the same way that Google's working on a monopoly to control the Internet, get big enough that you can prevent others from participating. Well... Nothing she is saying is talking about the underlying economics of why you would want to fix that or how you would address it. It is instead of vendetta. And that is the problem with large government organizations and the people who ultimately can come into power. That is why totalitarianism is so dangerous, because when Joseph Stalin decided to kill off millions of people, he could do so. And we are facing an era in which our government has gotten so large with people who have read the handbook closely enough that they don't have to receive the orders. They they know exactly what they need to do.
2: I absolutely agree with everything Hugh's saying, but I would add an additional point, which is he talks about these distortionary impacts on the development of fuels and innovation because of the government's involvement. and. One could listen to what he's saying and say, oh, well, that's a bug we need to fix. It's not a bug from the left's perspective. It's a feature. That is what they're trying to attain with all of their regulatory incursions into the corporate activity.
1: It is central planning through the back door. Yes.
2: 100%
0: agreement. When we come back, I want to run down your three uniting themes of conservatism, Tevi and Hugh. We'll be right back. No dancing. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Tevi Troy and Hugh Hallman in studio. Tevi in from Washington, D.C., and uh, Hugh in from Tempe, both destinations.
1: <laughs> very far-left destinations. Yes, both very far-left destinations.
0: Um, we were talking about aspects of conservatism, and Tevi, you, you gave us a quick list of three things that you think conservatism is generally agreed upon, uh, the point of the Supreme Court, um, you think conservatism generally on Israel and in its opposition to wokeism, roughly stated. Do you want to articulate the Supreme Court one first? In better words, I, I gave it short shrift.
2: In general, that the Supreme Court should not legislate from the bench. Right that the Congress is the legislative body and they should make those decisions. And also to the extent it reigns in the regulatory state through um, maybe reconsidering Chevron deference, which is this idea that you defer to regulatory agencies on, on all matters having to do with regulations. That is not the way our system is supposed to be. We have a separation of powers. Congress is supposed to legislate. It should not be up to the executive branch. And so the Supreme Court in general is saying... We want these decisions to be made by legislatures, whether they're state legislatures, as uh, in the case of abortion, or federal legislature. So that is one area in which I think conservatives generally agree. And he wants to jump. In.
1: Yeah. Can we move to, uh, to the segment in a moment? The, the the Supreme Court's an example. Here's what the left response is to reconsidering whether or not uh, Congress should use a standard that says it's a reasonable interpretation of the law versus it's a higher standard, saying it's it's uh, compelling state compelling state or defense. something yeah. like that. Yeah, strict. That, screwed, uh, well, right. uh, of the regul- it's not saying the regulation is uh, falls for lack of being legal. It is that the regulation that got put in place is a reasonable interpretation, meaning that there would be other reasonable interpretations that might go the different direction. And the conservative concern is you've got regulators who are unelected, making literally making decisions of interpreting the congressional uh, legislation in ways that could be. M- looked at multiple ways. The specific case is, should the person who owns a boat have to pay the price of having a federal regulator on that person's boat to determine whether or not they're catching the right kind of fish? Right. Well, you certainly can interpret the legislation to say, no, the the federal- right, that is yeah. the case yeah. that, that instead the, the, the federal government should pay that price. Well, that's a terrible idea, says the left, because certainly Congress can't write laws that are so specific. Why not? They have now posited a universe as what should exist, that Congress can be so lazy that we can have a bunch of unelected people dictating the futures for the private sector. Rather than requiring Congress, you could easily understand a court saying, you know what? This is too vague. Go back and write it more clearly so that we all understand what you meant to do. You get to have that power under, unfortunately, the uh, positive commerce clause and West Coast Hotel. Uh, We can argue about that. I don't know why you're only going back to Chevron. I'd go all the way back to West Coast Hotel. But the point would be that Congress could be more specific and clear.
2: I know Rabbi Alush is not here, but the point that Hugh is making about how you shouldn't have to pay for the regulator regulator on your own boat that will destroy your business and your company reminds me of a point that is made in the Talmud, that if you are to be executed, you're not required to pay for
0: the rope that will (laughs) execute you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that that was the court, and then he had Israel and opposition to wokeism. Let's get those in. Yeah, on
0: Israel, the the agreement, it seems to me, to the degree that most conservatives are united on the issue of Israel, seems to me there's maybe three reasons for it. I might be missing one or I might be overstating one. But one um, is because Israel's enemies are our enemies. Uh, So there's that. Second, Israel as a Jewish state, that has given more Christians more freedom than anywhere else in the Middle East. One might even argue more Muslims more freedom than anywhere Not even else. Arguably, in the Middle East. It's inarguable. Inarguably. That, you know, so so Israel is kind of the uh, the, the the redoubt of of religious freedom, if you will. Um, it would be number two. Number three, that it stands for what we might call small L, small d liberal democracy. And all of those things are things conservatism should be aligned and united around. That's, it, am I missing a reason or I, yeah, am I, I mean, overstating is a reason? Israel
2: was an invaluable military and intelligence ally, something yep. that the U.S. started to realize in the yep. 1970s after the Yom Kippur War yep. when Israel yep. captured multiple Soviet-made tanks and gave U.S. intelligence officials the first look inside those Soviet tanks. And the American officials f- for the first time said, hey, you know, maybe this little Jewish state actually has some benefit for us. They're not just a liability. They're a major asset.
0: So that's us uh, say anything you want on that, or we can jump to the wokeism issue, which is the third one, which is progressivism, which is nothing more to me than traditional conservative and justifiable conservative opposition to Marxism.
2: Well, I, I would put it this way, that... Wokeism, as I define it, and I think my definition is correct, and even though we've seen some conservatives stumble on what the definition is, is where you view someone's intersectional characteristics as more important, as paramount to any other aspect of their life or their personality, and you are willing to enforce with bullying tactics that view.
1: Uh, I would say don't but, like that. Yeah, I would just state it simply. It is the uh, the turning on its head the sentence, judging people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. That all of these intersectional items are irrelevant in a conservative universe in which we are trying to judge people by the quality of their character and how they behave, not because of immutable uh, constructs, whether or not you choose that you're a woman, a man, or something else.
0: I was going to say mutable constructs, actually.
2: I I, I agree with what Hugh was saying. He articulated it well, but it's only half the definition. The other part of the definition that I put in I think is equally important, which is use bullying tactics to enforce that perspective. And whether it's canceling or making sure people don't get hired or saying that that view is out of bounds, though that cancellation aspect of it is equally important. And that's why some people are so opposed to wokeism. If you just say, OK, well, you know, I think your intersectional characteristics are more important than anything about you. I'm like, fine. OK, you, you know, you could think that doesn't but, uh, make you a racist. But if you are going to denounce people and call them racist yeah. and, and, pu- and uh, push them out of polite society because they disagree with you about this, that's where wokeism is really, really evil and problematic.
1: And I agree completely. But uh, the, the thing that gets conservatives tangled up is that they don't necessarily want to judge people based on these constructs. Forget about being pushed out of the square if you make those decisions. It's that you want to make a decision based on the character of the human being and the quality of what they're providing, not are they a certain color, a certain gender and all the other constructs that wokeism is defined by. I agree completely, but it is a generalized concept. We don't like bullies. That is to say that. It is interesting to me that conservatives tended to view uh, the universe in a different way than Marxists have, that if you're a a minority and the um, underdog, you're good. Conservatives take it one more step, and that is, are you good? We will help, especially if you're now an underdog. And that is why I'm so puzzled by conservatives now that you, that Israel is a place we want to agree to assist, and yet Ukraine no longer is. And I, I, I'm watching this debate go on where the left is now defending Ukraine and excoriating Israel because they're not Palestinians uh, who dislike uh, wokeism, irony of irony. Yeah. And conservatives now are walking away from Ukraine being attacked by somebody that we have always been in battle with, in large part because we agreed with ukraine in the budapest memorandum signed by ukraine signed by russia signed by the united states great britain and northern ireland that ukraine's uh, borders at independence would be sacrosanct we ought to be doing the same thing for israel because ladies and gentlemen it wasn't the united states that invented israel it was the united nations all together saying now is the time and we will create this opportunity. And we are defending something that the international community came together to do.
2: Unfortunately, saying United Nations did it doesn't make it a stronger <laughs> argument <laughs> to conservatives. Uh, a yeah, better but,
1: United but, Nations. But, but to liberals, <laughs> that's the point. Those who are now yeah, defending right, Palestine, right, I'm right. sorry, do you not remember how this got created?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Good point.
1: Let me let me hone in on that,
0: that wokeism issue again when we come right back. There's more to it, I believe. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth liebson Show. It's been a delight having two great friends, Tevi Troy and Hugh Holman, in studio uh, with me today. Um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this last third thing that conservatives are united upon, opposition to wokeism and what the progressive uh, fetish with intersectionality has become. And it seems to me it might be, Hugh, you did a great job of describing, you know, the the idea that we as human beings should be judged on our achievements and not immutable characteristics and it just seems to me that this is this is in a long line or comes down to a long line of conservatives respecting individual rights i mean if there's something that conservatives do all appreciate it is individual rights and the reason we esteem and value individual rights is something important back of that which is that we esteem and believe in hum, human dignity and the idea of what a human being is and a, you can't have an individual right if you don't have the understanding of what who the individual is the individual is a human we started this place off with the notion that we all as humans were endowed and given certain inalienable things things we could not surrender things we were entitled to not by your consent or mine but by dint of uh, dint of Dint of what God has given us uh, laws of nature and nature 's God, and it seems to me from there it 's this corruption of a human or this corruption of humanity that is so offensive, not to con- not just to conservatives, but to common sense, and it is the very thing that defines the essence of Marxism, who thinks you can m- remake the human person, you can remake man, which is why I keep thinking that the opposition to wokeism is little different than the opposition to Marxism. Do anything you want with that as you wrap us up today.
1: I don't know that I have anything left to say because you've effectively said it all. It is not just the respect for individual rights. Fundamentally, is the respect for individuals, that the individual matters. And we know this because the font of that economic notion of conservatism comes from Adam Smith, this little Scotsman uh, in Edinburgh, writing these tomes that is trying to tease out what is so special here and that he is understanding the notion that as individuals, we should be celebrated. And for people in the West... In these United States, at least for most of the time, the idea that any individual can be destroyed by government actors is something to be fought against and that individuals have to be respected and that we cannot sacrifice any particular individual. That is not the underlying philosophy of Marxism. It is not the underlying philosophy of China or Russia as examples. And it certainly now isn't the underlying philosophy of Palestinians who go into Israel and murder 1,250 people. That's the difference. And we as conservatives have to continue to understand we should be standing with those who respect and appreciate every individual as a creation from God or nature's God, however you prefer to think of that, because you cannot replace any one of us. We are all unique. Well, I
0: wish I had three more hours, but we have tomorrow. So thank you, Tevi, and thank you, Hugh. And thank you, all ladies and gentlemen in the audience. Uh, until tomorrow, I am Seth Liebson for David Dahl, Hugh Hallman, Mr. Bill, Tevi Troy. Class is dismissed.